Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. The Houseman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now. Hey guys, The Journey on Houndsman XP has teamed up with Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform that was made for hunters by hunters. If you guys and gals have listened to any of the other podcasts that I've been on, you know what a huge outdoor enthusiast I am. I love being in the woods with my hounds. There's nothing more exciting than hearing the thunder of a spring gobbler. I love fishing for trout in the brooks and the streams, and I love being on the river chasing that ever-elusive fish of a thousand casts, the muskie. Go Wild is the place that I can post my trophies, hunts, and memories without being censored. But Go Wild is so much more than that. It's a place to share your stories, sharpen your skills, hone your tactics, get gear reviews, and shop for anything outdoors. When you make a purchase from the Go Wild store, everything is free shipping. Anything that you purchase anywhere in the country, no matter how big, free shipping. So go down to the show notes, click on the Go Wild link at the bottom, and get signed up today. And let's go wild. If y'all purchase anything from Go Wild... Make sure that you're using the Houndsman XP promo code. And that code is going to be HXP10. So when you go in there and you download your cart, and you come up to the bottom and it says promo code, add Houndsman XP to it. On today's episode of The Journey, I've got a treat for you guys. Over 50 years of hound hunting dog experience and we've got bird dog and hounds to date still working over 50 years so today we're going to take another trip out west we're going to aztec new mexico and i'm going to tell you a little story about this guest before i introduce him so back in the early 2000s big game hunting website was up and you could get on there and chat the forum. You could get on there and chat. You could buy dogs. You could post dogs and post pictures and stuff like that. So that was my first experience with, with our guest today. And he actually helped me in a couple different realms of dogs and dog training. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But if you guys have been in this long enough, you know, you, you all of us would come home and start looking at the, the internet and looking out 
look at the big game um, big game houndsman website and that's kind of where we done our business so that was my first experience um, with our guest he's helped me throughout a couple of those years back in, two, in 2009 is going to start it and I'll we'll tell you the story in a little bit but today I've got Mike Leonard horses and hounds with me today how's everything out in New Mexico Mike Heath it's great we've got good weather uh, it's been cold and snowy. We've had quite a bit of moisture this uh, this winter, unlike the last couple of years that have been pretty dry, and that's good news for us being cattle ranchers as well. So it looks like we're going to have some grass this year. I think the I think the cat hunters and uh, snow lion hunters and stuff have done pretty well so, thus far with some of the storms that come in. And I don't uh, much hunt in the wintertime with my dogs other than my bird dogs and stuff i say most of my hunting is spring and fall hunting and then we do our big game hunts and so uh when it's real cold and nasty i did a lot of that for a lot of years and so i don't do too much of that but it's it's a beautiful day today and uh, we can see the the mountains in colorado just to the north of us and they're just covered with snow and i know lots of guys are up there skiing so yeah it's it's a good time (laughs) and you know you actually told me it was 55 there today it did yeah. not break 43 here today. So you're actually wow. warmer than what we are and um we took the we took a we took a couple short hikes today, <clears throat> nothing major. We went into a couple places and looked at some over over overlooks and hiked some ridges just to to get outside, but yeah, so we mm-hmm. kind of done the same thing. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. So Mike, I'm going to I'm going to bring the listeners in to where you and you and our relationship um, started, and just talk about some things that that you taught me, um, helped me with back back like I said in the the, early, the mid the late two thousands two thousand nine. I was actually looking for some trail dog two thousand eight actually looking for some trail dogs, and I was on that website that we what I was talking about, and you kept you kept popping up and. You know, I'd read your responses, and I'm like, you know, I feel like this guy knows what he's talking about. Like, you know, it was very um, articulate. You know, it was good information. It seemed like it was solid information. So I was like, I'm going to reach out to him. So I had texted you or, or sent you a chat. I guess that's what you would call it. Um, mm-hmm. Looking for some trail dogs. <clears throat> so I, I wanted dogs that trailed. And... When I had sent you a message, you had got back with me, and at that time, um, we had talked uh, uh, several times about um, Jeff Allen's line of dogs, and for whatever reason, I was not able to get a pup from him at that time, and then you pointed me in the direction of of Topper. So I reached out to Andy Jensen and ended up getting my first Topper dog, and I can tell you, she was born April the 15th, 2009. I got her in, and I named her Nellie. And she was probably one of the most easy starting and natural starting dogs that I have ever owned. Like, I didn't have to do nothing but take her. And I was very impressed at the time. Um, so you had led me into that with with those dogs. Well, uh, you know, that's a, that's, that, that's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I figured the, uh, you probably wouldn't remember that at this time, but um, I do, I do remember the conversation. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> so I ended up having her, and then we got. I, I don't know where this come up at, and I don't know how I got to asking you these questions, but through reading um, some of the the posts on that website, uh, we were there was t- people talking about drags and scent and you know, all the, the things that houndsmen talk about. And I ended up calling you and talking to you about the a way to train dogs on scent. And I did I did this. Um I did this numerous times. Um in fact at the time I had two two blue dogs let's see, Belle died in fourteen. So Belle was yeah, she was four years old, five years old at the time. But so I'm going to tell it, and then I want you to explain what you was telling me. So you told me to get a broom handle or a walking stick or something of the sort, and wrap it up with duct duct tape and put a four inch paint roller on it. And I'm going to let you take it from there. Well, it's a it's it's a real simple method, and as most of the guys know that have been on big game houndsmen over the years, if you still to this day go to the home page and go to the top of the home page, and you'll see cat dog training up there. You can click on that, and it'll still that will outline that method that we're talking about. And this method was designed for younger pups, is what I designed it for. And is you know when you don't have the luxury to get them on a lot of cats all the time, sure that the real thing is always the best thing. But this impresses upon them and brings out their natural abilities uh, that when you're using good training scent, and uh, I've always used Graz lures or Graz training scents out of North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, Mr. Graz passed away a few months ago. I hope somebody continues the line of his trapping scents and lures, his gland lures, because they're by far the best I've ever used. I use the bobcat scent, I've used the bear scent, and I have used the lion scent, and uh, they're very good. But by using the bobcat scent or the lion scent with the paint roller and then by masking as much of your own human odor as you can, and it's impossible to mask all your human odor. It's, it, it's, it's, it's virtually scientifically impossible. But dogs' brains are wired a little different than humans, and their noses are much like a computer with a grid pattern in them. And when they lock onto a certain scent, that's the reason a dog can get sprayed by a skunk and rolling around gagging on the ground and 15 minutes later get up and cold trail a coon up and tree him because they can, they can they have a way of by filtering out scents. And uh, so you eliminate as much of the scent as you can, and then by using this paint roller, which is put on not horizontally but vertically down this stick, it's kind of imitating the padded foot of, a say, a bobcat. And as you know, uh, we always talk about drags. Well, animals don't drag their body along the ground unless they're a snake. Mm-hmm. You know, they step very, very carefully and precisely. And so you can set this 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 track pattern up for these puppies and then have some kind of a reward on the end and generally uh i'll I'll go i'll detail a little bit more of it how i do it i generally start the track from the end and a lot of people don't like that idea i start from the tree and track backwards what i do because if you'll think most of the time when you're trailing an animal the scent is getting warmer as you're getting closer to the animal am i correct Mm -hmm. so the closer you get to the animal, the scent gets stronger. 
Okay, so why would you start it where it's real strong and then it gets fainter and fainter and fainter and fainter until it gets to the tree or wherever you have your, your, you know, your prize, whatever it might be, you know, a, a caged animal or it might be whatever, you know, you've got in a, a tree, you know, a hide or something of that nature. So I usually do it that way. And sometimes you reapply scent because if you're carrying it a long ways and it seems to leave a real natural uh impression on good young puppies and when i when i put the article out and started with i had uh two puppies out of topper again and a female that i had uh toby and nash and you can see pictures of them in it when you go watch it but they were they were heavily nance bred but they did have some yadkin blood on their mama's side and they were quick starting pups and uh Gosh, they took to it just like a duck takes to water. And before long, I was laying those tracks. And sometimes I was leaving them seven and eight hours, and we were covering some miles. And I've got an advanced method that I've also used, and I don't know, Heath, if I've, if I've shared that with you, but I'll be glad to do it that you can use with. It's a little better for older dogs mm -hmm. and colder tracks. But when we first started talking about you wanted, you told me, you said, I want trailing dogs. Mm -hmm. I want trailing dogs. Well, I love trailing dogs, and I've had all kinds of dogs. I want trailing dogs that run to catch. I don't want to just trail all day. I want dogs that run with a, mm -hmm. with a passion of catching something on the end. I've seen dogs that will trail all day, and they may not get out of a football field. Yeah. And I, I, don't want those, I don't want those kind of dogs. I want dogs that are they have, they have deliberate purpose that they want to catch game. They want it. They want to see it, and they're dry, but they but they have the ability to trail, and the sense to trail, and the sense to get out of the ground and go to the wind if they need to. But uh, it's a, it's a viable method. I know some people have condemned it, and that's baloney. That's this and that. Well, that's fine. Uh, that's fine. But if if you want to use it and try it, I have a gentleman from Montana, very good friend of mine. Have become a very very good friend of mine. And uh, I kind of steer him in the line of dogs uh, similar to what you have or had. And uh, he has he was not, you know, he was not a hound guy, but he just wanted to get into it. So I helped him get a really, really good man spread puppy. And uh, boy, it wasn't any time. He had a couple of red dogs that he'd been working with, and they were pretty good dogs, I think. But before long, boy, he was he was catching lions like nobody's business. Well, lo and behold, he went and got another one from a friend of mine in California, and he's just uh, he just thinks it's a it's a great way to get things started, especially in the months when you're when you can't really be out there hunting, you know. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I I use that method. <clears throat> I haven't done it as much lately, but mm -hmm. when you told me about that and we had talked about it, I started doing it, and I I had good results. I, so that, I can't I can't say anything negative about it. I like the theory. Um, what really piqued my interest is um, when you got to talking about the drag and dragging, you know, a hide or whatever it is that you use. Um, you know, that's not natural, and like that's what it really it, it disturbs too much ground. Too. Yep. It crushes grass. <clears throat> it crushes rocks. It, it makes fresh soil by scraping it up. And so those are all elements that sometimes a, a hound, like a bloodhound, can trail, you know, simply uh, rubber booted tracks with crushed grass and foliage and stuff. He's he's not actually trailing the scent. He's trailing that different smell. And so yeah, and we call that ground disturbance in the the law enforcement side of it. Yep. And you're you're exactly right. So yeah, I yep. had good luck with it. Um, 
I would still use that method to today if I if I needed to do that right now. Then that's that's exactly how I would do what you're saying because it's more realistic. Period. Yes. So absolutely. Yeah. So you had uh, like I said, you'd point him in the direction to getting some, like I said, the topper dogs, and I ended up um, breeding her. Got some pretty good pups out of her, and then the pups out of her. Um. Yeah, so they they literally just passed this year, um, the two that I had left. Uh, so they had they, I mean that that was a eleven, twelve, thirteen year stint with those dogs. Um, sure, that you had put me on back then. So well, um, we still got them. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean we we, we we of course Topper passed away a long time ago, and we bred heavily onto Centerfire Samson. Mm-hmm. And which was very closely related, you know, that same bloodline. And then my partner up in Colorado, he's still he's still raising some out of that and some of Jeff Allen's blood that was crossed back into some of Stephen Gallantine's blood out of California. And I mean, you talk about tremendous pressure track dogs. Oh, my gosh. I mean, driven, 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 uh, fast, blazing, fast, cold nosed dogs, hard tree dogs, pretty gritty dogs, too. Um, yeah, not too big, but uh, that's OK, you know. Yeah, the one that I'd got from uh, Andy was she was a medium built dog. She was probably she was real leggy, and I mean I would say she's probably fifty pounds if that. She forty five yeah, to fifty yeah. pounds somewhere in there. That's that's just you know Topper was a big dog. Mm-hmm. He was it, when Topper was out of shape, he'd weigh eighty pounds. You know, oh wow, close to it. He, he he was a big he was a big dog. He was fast, mm-hmm. but he was a big dog. Yeah. So he, that, looked, he looked more like an old Johnson's banjo type dog or house's bred dog, you know. Big. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot of times, you know, you know, you know, you know, in the history of those dogs and that a lot of times people don't know where some of that stuff comes from. And it comes from way back further than people think it oh, does. Oh, yeah. Those foundation dogs like that that really, really go way back. And <laughs> interesting, you know, we, we mentioned you know, a lot of big game hunters, you know, they have their own strains and stuff, and I did too and stuff, but a lot of the dogs that influ- influential dogs that were put into some of those strains were big names. Mm-hmm. And I was really interested to hear uh, Jim Bueller and uh, Steve Smith talking on uh, Brett Vaughn's podcast about some of the early Walker influences they had in their pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking way back, Houses Bali, you know, uh, Spring Creek Rock, and those dogs like that, you know, so... That, that that was news. That was news to me. I'd never been enlightened in that respect. I was. I always thought they just had some secret out behind the barn deal, but they had. They had some of that pretty high blood powered blood in there too. Yeah, it all goes back to. It's got to start somewhere, don't it? It does. <laughs> yeah. So, Mike, the yeah. reason that one of the reasons I wanted to sit down with you this evening and talk is, um, you know, I'm pretty much in the the bear world. That's kind of what I do, and and. That's my thing. We don't have, we have Bobcat here. And it's so interesting that we don't have a lot of people that cat hunt, especially the area that I'm in. Now, there's some people that do it throughout the state, but you don't see that a lot here. And, you know, I know when I was talking to you back then, that was one of the things that intrigued me is, you know, the dogs that could take a track. And I'm like you, I I don't want a dog sitting in a holler beating it to death for two days. That's not my idea of a track dog. Or a trail dog. Um, so I was going to, you know, want to kind of pick your brain and 
um, especially the guys that cat hunt, you know, what, what's your definition of a dog, what you're looking for. Um, I know that you bobcat hunt and line hunt and what's the difference in those dogs and, you know, some training methods and stuff that you use. So let's start, um, let's start with the, the bobcat. Let's start with the small. Okay. Well, uh, that was my early, some of my very earliest uh, exposure to hounds was with bobcat hunting. That was back when I was still in Montana, and uh, I fell in with an old government hunter uh, that had hunted for years and years, and he was a he was a devotee of bobcat dogs. And in the area that we were hunting at that time didn't really have any cougar population. It does today. It's changed uh, dramatically. But back then, it was very, very rare if you would see a lion track. So we concentrated on bobcat, and we did coon hunt quite a lot too. And uh, and I would uh, I would pick his brain because he was he was very uh, he was a very astute guy. His name was Leo Riley. He was an old cowboy, and just to look at him, you'd think, well, this guy, you know, he just uh, you know, probably doesn't really think too much about this, but he had a, he had a track record behind him of cat catching. That was just tremendous. There were two or three hunters in the state of, of Montana back in those days that were pretty well known. And, uh, Sherman Hayes, Cougar Leaf, Taurus, guys like that, that caught a lot of cats. And I would have put, put Leo up against any of them with his dogs. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, Leo, you know, I started out with dogs. I, I just like every other kid when I started out, I picked up a junk dog here and I picked up a junk dog there and I had trash races. And that was before we had telemetry or I didn't have any shock system or electric collars. You know, I was just banging my head against the wall, you know, and I, I ran into Leo. I'd never, I didn't really know him and stuff. And he was kind of an intimidating, imposing looking guy, uh, just to look at, he, he was a kid cowboy hat on and a fringe buckskin you know <laughs> I knew he was this trapper hunter guy you know and stuff. he said hey I'll talk to you for a oh okay you know I don't know how old I was I was probably 18 something like that and he says I was a little older than that no I had to be 21 because I, I later because I later that year I saw him on jury duty he was a bailiff so I, I had to be about 21, I think. And I'd had these dogs for a couple of years. I'd been fighting it. But anyway, he said, I heard you got some hound dogs. And he says, yeah, I do. He said, well, I'd like to take a look at them someday. And he said, I've got some hounds too. And I said, oh, well, I'd like to look at your dogs too. He said, well, why don't you just follow me to the house right now? So, and I'll show them to you. So I did. And I drove over there and he had a kind of a rustic little place and he had about a half a dozen hounds out there. Most of them were black and tan colored. Some of them had uh, some white markings on them and stuff, but he had a couple of blue tip colored dogs too. He said, yeah, these, these, these little black dog crosses that I have here, these are, these are essentially my, my cat dogs, you know, my bobcat dogs. He said, they're a little different than these blue dogs here. He says, I use these blue dogs mostly for coon. He said, they will go on cat track. They're pretty good, but they're not, they're not what I call, consider real catch dogs for bobcats. And I said, okay, well, he said, do you want to go hunting with me sometime? I said, yeah. And he said, well, I want to go look at your dogs and stuff and all that. Well, I had a a couple of crossed up Walker pups that were just trashy. Oh my gosh, they were so trashy. And I just was having trouble keeping them straight and doing anything and catching anything with them. And I was having a terrible time. (laughs) I mean, we'd get a deer going and they'd run it all night. I mean, they would run. Well, 
long story short, he finally talked me into getting rid of those dogs. And he said, you, you get rid of them and I'll give you a, a good pup. I said, well, I'll see if I can sell them. He said, well, no, that's not what I mean. He says, you need to get rid of them. You don't pass your misery on to another guy. He says, you just get rid of them and I'll give you Mooney, which was a young, young dog that he had crossed our blue dog. And uh, so I did. And gosh, that dog, that dog only lived to be four years old. And he was just absolutely fantastic. He spoiled me right off the bat. That dog did because he was so good at everything he did. I mean, he went from just kind of a big old goofy pup to, catching bobcats coons whatever i put him on in just no time i he had one trash race in his life i gave him a good hard threshing and and that was it after that he was just like a check dog Hmm. and what a dog but what a difference it made you know to have that blood and uh i think both separated that dogs with the bobcats really they had to have a good dog but a lot of times you were up, and we, we ran a lot on the bare ground. We didn't all run in the snow. We ran on the bare ground, too. Mm-hmm. But we were running fresher tracks. There's no doubt about it. We weren't running many hour-old tracks, you know, maybe an hour old or two hours old. But we were we were striking those tracks. We needed a dog that could get them up and knock the wind out of those cats. We needed a dog that was not silent but not real, real wide open. And those cats would, if you pressured them too hard with too much mouth and stuff, they go to, they 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 go to blowing into holes or under boulder piles and things of that nature and stuff. You needed a dog that could really get to driving that track hard and fast, kind of knock the wind out of them. And you can catch them all either, but we we caught a fair number of them. But I had a dog uh, that he had a dog called Jigs, and I named a dog of mine that later in life. He wasn't near as good as his dog was, but this Jigs dog, you could almost see this dog thinking as he was as he was starting to work that track and he just he he was almost like he had a sixth sense about him and he uh he would just where other dogs were struggling and stuff he would breeze through the losses and just get it again and go and i don't think it was because he had a superior nose but i think he had a superior intellect about him whatever you might call it in a hound Mm -hmm. and he he went through it and uh next thing you know he'd be caught and i was just my goodness you know what a dog. And uh, he was such a good dog that he wouldn't let him ride in the back with the other house. He said he'd ride in the front of the pickup. <laughs> <laughs> he favored and, uh, him a little, huh? He favored old Jigs, yeah. And uh, so anyhow, it was it was just something about bobcat dogs that it really intrigued me. And, and, and Western bobcat hunting is a little bit different. I know there are people running in the Piney Woods country, and it's different there, or hunt them at night. And there are people in South Texas that run them like, like fox and and coyote, you know how they they kind of run a pack of running dogs, which is very effective in the brush country and stuff. There's guys down there that really have some fabulous dogs, but out here, you know, we we have to trail them down and tree them, you know, or bay them in a hole, which I don't like because a lot of times you can't get them out. Mm-hmm. But so I try to hang to the the bigger timber country and stuff. But to me, a really good bobcat dog, a really really top bobcat dog, is kind of the pinnacle of what I think in a tree dog, uh, you know, I, I just, they're really hard to find. They're very hard to find. Um, Andy Jensen is a, is a really good bobcat hunter and he really knows, and he's stuck with that line of dogs for a long time for a certain reason, because they're just a lot of them that go back to the original topper. Mm-hmm. And you, of course, you know, the original topper was the only two time back to back world champion bobcat dog when they used to have the bobcat futurities. 
and he and that was that was Nance's little topper that Bob Morosic ended up buying and taking to Sheridan, Wyoming. But he he was kind of the quintessential Bobcat dog, and that was Bobcat line was really something special. The journey on Houndsman XP has teamed up with one TDC. This dual action support for oral health and mobility in our dogs. This unique supplement is so effective that it is recommended by top veterinarian experts worldwide to maintain and improve our dog's health in four different areas. Their oral health, hips, joints, and muscles, skin, coat, energy, and recovery. Guys, I've been using this product for the last six months and it has been a game changer for me. If you're looking for something to help with the overall health of your dog, go to WorkSoWell.com and give this product a try. It is highly recommended by Houndsman XP here on The Journey. You had told me um, earlier in our conversation <clears throat> that there's one thing that, that separates a bobcat dog, or do you think that it has to have more so than the other dogs? You remember what you were telling me? Well, I, 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 there are several things. Of course, the high IQ that I think was mm-hmm. that the, the the drive they've got to have that just unbelievable drive to catch, to run, the pressure to catch. They've got to have that. And I, I'll tell you, I I truly believe some of these dogs use their ears, and some of them have mm-hmm. the ability to hear. Uh, I've seen some of those cat, a really good cat dog, stop and listen. And I don't know what they're hearing, but sometimes I've had cats sneak right back by. I've watched cats a lot of times with a whole pack of dogs trailing behind them. And I've seen cats squat down and stop and have the dogs trail right by them, by a bush and stuff. And that cat pick up and walk out the other way mm-hmm. and just go on and and then bust into a, a gallop and go over a, go over a top of a point or something. And, and I've seen these dogs just stop and listen and listen cock their head a little bit and turn around. I had a dog called Gunner that was, was really pretty good. He came from Jeff Allen and he was a blanket back walker dog, but he, he was phenomenal with his ears. And, uh, I really believe it set him apart. <clears throat> and he was a, he was a heck of a dog to turn a track around, you know, out on the dry ground. A lot of times we, we, we end up back trailing at times. It's just, it's just the nature of things. The way you're going, the, do- the way the dogs want to go in and when tracks get really faint, not so much on Bobcat, but on lion and uh, a lot of dogs will get on it backwards and they'll just go and go, you know, and you got to turn them around if you can, because you don't, you don't catch very many of them going backwards. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> I have caught a few lions going backwards, but it was purely a by accident. <laughs> but, uh, but that, that dog, he was phenomenal because I remember Jeff Allen and I were sitting on our horses one time over on the North rim of the Virgin river country we had a we had a big pack of dogs that day. We were running about a dozen dogs, and we had an old line track going. And uh, the dogs, it's it's amazing to watch dogs work when you have that many of them, and they've got the track going, and they kind of start leapfrogging it. And you got all these dogs working close together, and it's they're so close together they look like a big blanket moving, and it's just like a living organism moving, moving that track, moving that track, moving that track. And we're sitting there watching it and stuff. And Gunner, all of a sudden. I see him. He's off off to the side, and he's coming back towards us. And he's kind of leaping in the in the grass, kind of leaping like you've probably seen dogs chasing a, a mm-hmm. rabbit or something before. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of jumping up and jumping. I says, Jeff, what's that crazy dog doing? <laughs> he says, Oh, he said that old son of a bee. 
He said, he's got the track. We're going backwards. I says, really? He says, no, he figured it out. We're going backwards. He says, turn these dogs around. And sure enough, old Gunner, he figured out that track was going the wrong way. And he's bedding back the other way. And we turned it around and run the line, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's just superior <laughs> intellect that goes along with that. I don't know. I sometimes think I, I, I kind of believe some dogs are clairvoyant. I know people think I'm nuts, but I do believe there's there's a lot of clairvoyant things that go on in animals' minds that we don't understand, mm-hmm. you know, be a predator or prey. And uh, there's a lot of things that we still haven't got it all ironed, all the wrinkles out of it yet. But I've seen so much stuff out there over all these years of hunting that sometimes I just scratch my head and just go, wow, you know. Yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah. But you told me when we were talking about bird dogs that that's one of the things in your cat, your bobcat dogs is that dog able to to pick his head up and do some winding. Yeah, they've got to be able to go into the wind, and they've got to be able to drift the track because mm-hmm. you're going to hit some dead spots. And these dead spots are not, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about again. It's not because the animal really alters its scent. It could some things could change their scent when they're hunting. They're actively trying to sneak up on a rabbit or a deer or something. I think sometimes it changes a little bit or maybe closer to the ground where they're stalking rather than just walking along or trotting. Mm-hmm. But it, it does change, and so it's it's different at times. But you'll get those dead zones. You might get into some coarse, coarse rock or gravel, gravel hillsides and stuff, which don't hold scent very well or something. Mm-hmm. And the dog goes in there, and it's like he hits a wall. He's like, ah. Oh. And he's just grinding through there where he was moving it before, where he had vegetation and maybe rocks and brush and stuff brushing against the animal a little bit more, whatever it might be. Or the ground might be cold, uh, warmer there for some reason. The sun may have got on it and burned it. Ultraviolet rays play, you know, they play heck with scent and different things. And he gets across there. And if, if that dog just hangs up in there, hangs up and is working and working and working, he's never going to catch a bobcat. He's mm-hmm. just not going to do it. That dog has got to go to the wind, and he's got to start drifting out and drifting out and drifting out. And that's that smart dog that will do it. I'm not saying that, that, you know, and I've got, we'll we'll get into the lion dog thing too, but I, I truly believe that the best lion dog is that, is that dog as well. Yeah. Now, so are you guys, and I don't know, do you guys run the same, I'm assuming you run the same dogs on bobcat and line or are you using different i heard you just said the guy that was teaching you used two different types of dogs he did but uh you know he was hunting basically for fur and stuff and he did take those blue dogs some of the bigger blue dogs he did take them when he was bobcat hunting and he was hopeful that they were going to get and they did get better they were good dogs i mean they they would go and sometimes they'd catch a cat and stuff but they almost never catch a cat in front of jigs or or ikey you know or Pike, Ike, Pike, and Jigs were the three the three cat dogs that were always out in front and always almost always seemed to to catch on that. And on on coon, they those dogs really didn't they they go catch a coon and stuff, but they were kind of like ho hum, you know. Okay, let these guys, you know, no big deal. We we'll go, but we really don't care that much about it. Where where the the blue dogs, the Vaughn dogs that he had, I mean, they were just slammed up coon dogs. I mean, they were good. You mm-hmm. know? And beautiful to listen to. The the other dogs kind of had high, shrill mouths and didn't sound as pretty as those big, long ballers. And, and I, I still have a big, long ball mouth dog. <laughs> you know. I think we all, well, I, I do too. I'm with you. I like a, a ball mouth dog on a track and come over to a, a steady chop on a tree. It don't have to be a blowdown, yeah. but, but I, I've got, I got ball mouth dogs on the tree too, so I don't, I'm not picky. <laughs> yeah, 
I'm not picky. That first dog spoiled me. I said the blue dog I got from from Leo. I mean, he was just the longest quivering ball on a cold track, and it had tightened up a little bit, but it was deep and mellow. And when he came down, and it just he just die at the tree, just oh, 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 and that was it. I mean, just hammer. I mean, it just. I mean, a, a three-year-old could have called treed, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I know that, you know, when we had talked back then, too, um, that, and I guess anybody that, that's able to hunt um, cats and bear, if you can do both, you know, of course, the bear puts off more scent. I mean, we know that, you know. they're it's, to it's, a point. It's, it's just, to a point. Yeah. It's a bigger animal. Yeah. They're smelly. I mean, you know, I can walk well, in a little I, thicket I, I, and smell I, I, them. But I, I always, I always contest that a hound can trail a, an older lion track than they can a bear track. Bear track is light. Bear scent is light. It's strong, but it's light and it's airy, and it doesn't last. You, we've got lots of hounds out here that can trail a two-day-old lion track. I mean, if the conditions are right, you're not trailing any two-day-old bear tracks. If you trail a 10-hour-old bear track, I mean, that's an old bear track because that scent is so different. Where That lion scent is heavy, oily, low scent that lays low, low on the ground. Where a bear, when he moves and stuff, yes, his pads, I'm sure his pads, they they sweat some just like a dog's pads and stuff. But it's just, it's just different. It's just higher scent. And when it's fresher, yeah, it's strong. It's it's very airborne, and that's the reason bear dogs generally carry the track much faster because it's airborne and they're up in the air, and they're running it that way. And I'm telling you, uh, you, you uh, with especially bear ground lion hunting, unless the lion is pretty close, you don't burn down a lot of lion tracks like you do a bear track. I mean, just smoking it, mm-hmm. roaring, and going. But it does happen, you know, if you get it fresh and you have some of the, the right dogs, you'll be surprised how much pressure they can put on it. But it's different. And uh, I hunted a lot of bear. I mean, uh, I uh, and I like bear hunting. I got, in fact, I got consumed with it uh, to the point that I was kind of a, I was kind of nuts. <laughs> uh, kind of went off the deep end with it for a while there. But uh, when I, I hunted, I used to hunt bear in Colorado a lot before they closed the hound hunting up there. And it was just fabulous bear hunting, just wonderful and i had some really good bear dogs i had i had some i had some strains of dogs that were pretty darn good bear dogs i mean we caught a lot of bear you know mm-hmm. but when they closed that up and things kind of changed in my life for various reasons um i finally started hunting lions on the bear ground more and almost exclusively and hunting horseback most of the time and i was doing some depredation work and doing some work and helping the uh state and different things on problem, problem lines and stuff. I found that I couldn't, I couldn't maintain a multi-purpose pack anymore. Mm, yeah. And that's what I did before. I I would run bear in the in the fall or in the spring. We had a spring season back then, and then in the winter time, of course, the bear denned up, and we just run lion and try to run cat, you know. But when I started having to hunt year round, uh, there's just so many more bear, and you're just so much more likely to get on one that. If I was after a problem lion uh, and my dog struck a bear, they'd be gone because a bear will run. And you know how bears will run. Sometimes they'll run 20 miles. Yep. And, and uh, you know, you're done. You're done lion hunting for the day. So I finally had to start not only, you know, choosing dogs that didn't, weren't quite so wound to run bear, but also bumping them off. And I didn't have a lot of problems. Uh later you know with that I, I i could tell if there was a fresh bear around they generally let me know but 
I could tell if it was a lion or a bear and I just talked to my dogs. I always could have handled being a, from a bird dog background, my dogs are whistle broke. Most of my dogs would take hand signals. My hounds would take hand signals and, and things. So I could just move them along on my horse, you know, and, and, uh, They've got to be able to handle, to be able to hunt that those kind of conditions, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a different than just driving around in the snow and finding a track crossing the road and wrestling them out of a dog box and sticking their nose in the track and shooting them in the rear and away they go, you know. And the next thing you know, with your telemetry or your GPS, you find where they're treed. But when you're out there free casting and you might ride 25, 30 miles a day, your dogs have got to handle, you know. Yeah, and I, I mean – I don't have the opportunity to do. I I have been out to New Mexico and hunted um, uh, line off a of horseback, and Good. like that that to me is like the um, it's like the all time like it doesn't get any better than that for me. Like <laughs> well, I, I you're mean, a wise man. You're a wise man. <laughs> well, I mean, I you know joy being on horses, you know Good. being able to follow your hounds and you know, actually watch them work. Like, you know, that's... Isn't that, that great? Yeah, yeah, it is. And you learn that's, so that's much. That's true, true. Oh, you do. You learn... I learn so much. And, you know, and I walked a lot too. And But when you're a horseback and you have a good horse and you're in good horse country, those dogs accept you as a different portion of that pack. And they really do listen to you because they know you're mobile and you really get to see those dogs work and... And, and, you know, I have a lot of guys, you know, they tell me, well, I can tell them on my GPS which dog is out ahead and which dog's here and which dog. I've got Garmin's. I mean, I use them. Why wouldn't you? But, I mean, I, I want to see my dogs working. You know, uh-huh. I want to do that. And so uh, being horseback is, is a great thing or on a mule. Uh, if you favor mules and all that sort of thing, it's, it's, it, 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 it is a great thing. And bear hunting really, um, and I, I, I would love to hunt sometime over where you're at. It's, it, it beautiful country some of the country we have to hunt bears in out here is so unbelievably rugged and roadless that why most people wouldn't hunt if they didn't have gps or at least telemetry they wouldn't hunt Mm -hmm. because you just lose your dogs essentially your dogs hit a track they're gone and you go looking for dogs and that's that's what you do the canyon swallow them up unless it's a short race here so you're you're hunting for beeps and then you're walking to beeps or whatever you can do to get to them, especially if you're in the wilderness, you know, if you got a the luxury of roads and stuff, but a lot of times you don't. So yeah, uh, you don't really get to see who's doing what unless somebody's there videoing it. It's kind of funny sometimes too. You watch some of these bear hunting videos and you see the bear cross the road and then run across a meadow or something. And you think, man, those dogs are pressuring that bear. They're chewing him up. They're eating him up. <laughs> you got dogs coming along, you know, and they're just kind of loping easily along the bear stops and they stop, you know, and sometimes yeah. it's not all the way you think it is. No, no, but hunting from horseback and being able to watch, I mean, I wished I could do it here. It's just, that's just something we, we can't do, but I, that's like that. That's the all time for me. Um, so, like, let's switch over to the lines real quick. Um, uh, difference in the line and the bobcat. What's you kind of told us what you're looking for in the cat dog, uh, bobcat, um, and you've kind of explained it through talking about the bobcats. And then I want to get in a little bit about the odor. Okay. Well, the lion, the lion thing on bare ground, and I'm I'm not going to talk about snow hunting. Uh, and some snow hunting is difficult. It depends on the condition of the snow and different things like that. It's dangerous. It's physically demanding. I don't take anything away from it. It's just non-comparable uh, to uh, 
to to dry ground hunting because you are relying upon the nose of the dog. Mm-hmm. You know, your eyes, you can see a track sometimes. You ride along, you'll see a track, you'll find a track, something like that. But it doesn't happen very often. You're relying on the eyes of that dog to, uh, and the ears and the nose of the dog to, to, to detect what's going on in his presence. And so you've got to have a start dog. You've got to have a start dog. And I, I just think that it's not only just cold-nosed, but it is the drive that a dog has, you know, to be able to, the desire to go out there and find that track. And I'll, I'll give you a reason why I say that. I've seen whole packs of dogs who were bred very similarly. And they're old time bred. Oh yeah, they've got Lee brothers in them. They've got this and that, you know, Arizona blood and all that. And they're, they all look the part and we know they can trail. And uh, you're out there on your horses and mules and you're riding along. You can't, the ground's hard. You can't see anything. You can't, and, you know, and the dogs are plodding along and they're hunting here and there a little bit and stuff. And some dog will go off and all of a sudden that dog will strike a track. And the other dogs, seven or eight, nine other dogs had walked right over that track. That old dog finds the track and he, he opens. Oh, goodness. Everybody jumps up and runs over there, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, Okay, and then what happens? Oh, we can smell it too. We'll go to work on it too. And they walked right over it. They didn't. They didn't care to do anything with it. And old Wimpy goes over it, and he uh, he smells it. He opens, and now everybody's working. You know, it takes that dog that wants to start that track. He's 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 a natural. Sometimes he he has that little bit of a sixth sense. He knows where to look for a track. He knows where to hunt smart for a track. But he wants to start it, and you've got to have that. And then a lot of times you've got to hustle over there and make sure they're going the right way. I'll try like ever to find a track in the ground. And you can tell if you're going the right way because you don't know sometimes. And a lot of times you'll end up on the back track. But a lot of times you won't. You get them turned around and go and go. And they've got to be able to carry that track. Lion dogs is a patience game, too. They've got to be able to be have a lot of patience. And work because a lot of times it's a long, long trailing, lots of uh, what I love watching it. And I think you would love watching it. But sometimes Mm -hmm. some people say, oh, it's monotonous because they're working and working. And the last 15 minutes, they only made, you know, 100 yards or something like that. Well, that was a good 100 yards. And then, oh, man, they got up on this ridge and it picked up better. Now that now they're 500, 500 yards away, you know, and then it slows down and it's. It's just a whole different thing, but it's kind of it's kind of like a detective game too. Once you're in there, you're kind of like looking for clues and looking for sign. You're riding along and help trying to help the dogs, looking for little things and clues that you can pick up. But the the dog, the dog part of it, it's got to be that dog that really, really wants to strike that track. You've got to have that dog. Without a start dog, dry ground hunting, you're sunk. You're you're not going to ride around enough and find enough tracks to be able to do it. So you've got to have that start dog. And I wanted all my dogs to be start dogs. I yeah. wanted to breed dogs that wanted to start tracks. And, you know, we've, we've kind of done that with these last, last uh, little bunch of dogs that we've got. And I'm Neil's hunting them mostly now up in Colorado, but these dogs, I mean, they're, they're tracky. They want to start and they want to drive a track, but they will, they will start an old track, you know, and uh, you've got to have that, you know? So. I think it's interesting how you said, you know, how the old dog picks up a track and the other dogs just run past it. But once he picks it up and opens, you know, here yep. comes the pack. Yeah, oh, yeah. I smelt this, but yeah, I smelt this, yep. but I didn't want to 
I didn't want to waste my energy on it. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, well, the old timer thinks it's worth it. Now we're all in here. Yeah. Yeah. That'll cut us, you know, let's go, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's funny, but I wanted, I wanted to have multiple dogs that could do that. And I did have, but I've had some, some certain dogs that <clears> stood <throat> out in that respect. I've had dogs, um, that could actually win a starting point. And that's kind of phenomenal on bare ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my big John dog could do that. And then later on, kind of related in the same line, Big Ben, and I'd see him throw his head up, and I might see him break into a slow kind of a lope, go down through the bottom of a little canyon, go up a header on the other side, and might go two, three hundred yards, and then, boom, hit a track and just go, you know. And he winded that track that far away. The other dogs didn't have a – they didn't have a clue it was there. Yeah, you know? I, I'm like you. Now, once I'm... he blew, he went. They went, you know. Yeah, I'm like you. I want my I want all my dogs to start – um, I'm not there right now with the pack that I have, but I want them all to start tracks. And, um, yeah, it, it seems like it takes a special dog to be able to wind like that and go find that, that starting point. I've got a, a German short hair female here, bird dog, registered female. She's a phenomenal little dog, but I've got three other dogs out there in the yard that I know have got really good noses on them. Uh, I would, you know, put them in, in a class of being pretty cold nosed, uh, with things as far as, especially I do blood trailing and things of that nature and that kind of stuff. And they, but I'll, I'll watch this female and I've done a lot of wildlife right around my little area here out of Aztec. You know, we've got a nice little herd of deer and we'll, we'll have, uh, fox come by and coon and, and different things like that. I haven't, I haven't seen a bobcat right here, but I know that they come by occasionally, but we have a lot of feral cats just, and, mm-hmm. and they, they just decimate the pheasants around here. They, they're hard on birds. Well, mm-hmm. I'll see that, that female, she's, she's, she's out there and she's in a, she's in an acre enclosure out there in my, one of my horse arenas where they, they kind of have a run where they can run and, you know, they're not all not always pinned up. They kind of have a communal run that they work in through the days and stuff. You see those other dogs, and they're laying around and stuff. And I should be laying down, too. All of a sudden, she will stand up, and that nose will go straight up in the air. And I mean, it's just like she goes on point. And I've seen her actually stand up on her hind legs, reaching high in the air to get mm-hmm. the scent. And she'll come down off of that, and she will spin out almost and go across that arena and she'll be pointed, and I'll start watching. I'll start watching. I'll tell, like my wife, if we're out on the in the backyard or on the patio or something, she says, "You watch." I says, "There's going to be a cat move out of that brush down in there before long." Sure enough, there it'll be. She's got it. She just wins it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's like I told you before. We we're using those a lot in the law enforcement side because of that ability. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, for- well, there are quite a few, uh, some dry ground lion hunters, especially I know in Arizona, that are that are using uh, German short hairs and German short hair crosses in some of the most rugged, bad country over there with phenomenal success. Really? Yeah, that's interesting. A guy by the name of Dave Carlson over on Prescott kind of started that some years ago. Some of the strains and and there are several fellows over there that are using uh, GSPs uh, and GSP crosses very. Uh, very effectively on bare ground lion. 
So is they are they half or they quarters or they eighths? I mean, what's he having the best um, success at? What kind of what type of cross? Mostly half, but he's got a couple of fulls that are just phenomenal. Uh-huh. But they're they're silent. They're, they're the yeah. fulls are silent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would or say you're silent right. until they until they see it. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. And they they are gritty. They're pressure boy. They're pressure bay dogs. Oh my gosh. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Quick, hard fighters. Yeah. And tough footed and can take a lot of heat. Huh. Well, I mean, you know, depending on what, what stock you have, I mean, they're, you know, a lot of those guys run, run those birds off of horseback. Um, oh yeah. And I mean, they're covering, you know, like you said, 20 and 30 miles a day doing that. Easy. Easy. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. <clears throat> Before we wrap things up here, I have got to ask you the infamous question. You're a cat guy. You've been hunting hounds and um, cats and lions and stuff for over 50 years. Tell me your perspective or tell me what you think on the odor, a lion actually shutting his odor off. Like I'm, I'm intrigued by that because, you know, I, you know, I train and and teach on the law enforcement side of, of humans. Um, you know, I run big game and I run coons and bear I've called a couple bobcats on accident, <laughs> never on purpose. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, but just just give me your take. Like, you know, tell me what you know what you're seeing and what you think and what. Well, where, where this 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 whole theory started, and and and, and a lot of guys have, have have talked about this for a year. But Dale Lee, the famous Lee brothers in Arizona, mm-hmm. he contended that a lion could control its scent and mm-hmm. could. Could could actually kind of shut it sent down. He talked about uh, being down in the in the um, White Mountains area, an area I've been in a lot, down at, around Blue River and Hannigan's Meadow. And he was up in that area where he was in the summertime. He was working his hounds. He'd get up high because it gets so dang hot. He'd get up there and hunt early and stuff, working those hounds on through the summer. Well, he had a road crew come by that guy's working on the highway and they said he had a little camp right there alongside the highway a little hound camp and stuff and told him dale we just uh, about eight miles down the road just had a lion run across the highway in front of him if you want to run it and he goes yeah he says i'll head right down there so he he loads up his horse and or his mule i can't remember which he was riding at the time in his little trailer or truck and gets a bunch of dogs and he heads down there and those guys show him right where the lion come across the come across the road you know and he says, okay. He says, I see the track and everything. So he said, you know, um, he got some of the dogs out and stuff. They hadn't had a chance to clean out and everything. And those dogs kind of went up and hit on the back track a little bit, going the wrong way, you know. And, boy, they just blew right up on it, going the way the lion had come in, you know. And he hollered them back, you know, get back here, dogs, get back here, you know. And he said, boy, they can sure smell it. Well, he took them across the highway, which is a blacktop highway, he took them across the blacktop highway and they could not pick the track up. And he worked and he worked and he worked and he actually saw tracks and different things and worked with the dogs. And some of these were pretty good dogs. And uh, finally he, he worked out about 400 yards or so and the dogs started picking it up again. And I, I believe they went on and caught the lion. But um, his contention was that that lion, it started this. He says that lion, when he gets up to that highway, he controls his scent because he's afraid, you know, and he said, I've seen it before, you know, mm-hmm. well, I, I think a lot of us that have hunted, uh, around even 
logging roads or that are being used or trails or two tracks or whatever they are where cars and stuff have gone down. We've had problems before, whether we're trailing a bear or whether we're trailing a bobcat or whatever it might be. When they come out and hit that road, a lot of times it seems to the scent is altered somewhat. And it may be a mixture of, you know, scent from automobiles, cars smell a lot, trucks smell a lot, diesels, who knows. And it's a mixing of scent. I don't know. I can't. I can't explain it, but in my mind, I, you know, people, and I'm sure you being in, in, in uh, law enforcement and stuff in different situations, you know, people, their body, their endocrine system reacts in a different manner, whether they're fearful, whether they're excited, whether they're mad, whether they're very sedate, you know, they're, I'm sure that their body odor is different. You know, I know sometimes when you get in a high pressure situation and and you're very nervous or you're very things like that. I mean, you start to perspire more or whatever. I don't know, but I don't think it's it's physically possible that they can absolutely just go back and shut that scent off because that's those scent molecules are all over that body. There's skin cells, there's hair cells, there's all these different things. There there anal cells, there that you know urine and uh, different things and and if you've ever smelled a lion, uh, especially at, you know when you're up around a lion and close and they kill the lion, so I mean they'll gag you a lot of times. They they they've got a hard smell, especially mm-hmm. those old toms. I mean it it'll make you want to throw up at times. They bear smells good compared to a lion, and uh, those lions are rough at times. So they give off a different odor. But to say that they could just shut it off, well maybe it's altered. I don't know, but I think sometimes they get to places where. They may have laid up, and I've had this happen to me a lot, and I'm trailing along on a line, and I've got that line going pretty good, and I'm I'm sometimes having to trot and gallop to catch up to the dogs. They're making some pretty good headway and stuff, and they'll get into a big boulder pile or something up in a, in a kind of a shady pocket on a mountainside or something, and all of a sudden, the track just poof. It's like it's gone. I got dogs casting this way. I got dogs casting that way. And they're round and around and around and around. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? I, I cannot figure this out. And I tie my horse up and get down there. And I, I find a lion track here. I find a lion track there in the sand or the mud and stuff. And what are you goofy dogs doing? You know, and then, I, then your mind goes to playing tricks on you. Well, that lion came in here and he got out over the top and he's gone on, you know. And so you stuck in there. Oh, I need to get on. I need to move, you know. And I've done that before. Get on my horse, holler at the dogs, cut around where you can get up, get up on top and think, well, we're going to pick it up up here. He just slipped out over the top. Can't find a thing. Nothing. Go back, go back and go, what in the world? I got to try to sort these tracks out. And you know, I've been around there for an hour and a half, two hours at times, figured out. And dogs are laying in the shade they're getting tired they're doing things like all of a sudden some old dog over here oh 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 start booger barking and you walk over there and you get back at the crack of a rock and stuff and there's that old lion laying back in there he's Mm -hmm. laid up he's gone in there and laid up and his scent's pooled up in that area and they can't figure it out and he's just pooled up and he just he just got him baffled he had him totally baffled and that dog probably never would have found him if he didn't just bump right into okay. him and that old lion probably probably that old lion probably just growled at him you know mm. and that was it because that scent just pulled <clears> up in her so it, scent scent doesn't go completely away but it does change yeah i i'll go with that yeah i know that you know when we're chasing somebody that's run from us 
and I'm talking about a human, not an animal. Still mm-hmm. a mammal. Still a mammal. Um, Absolutely. You know, uh, their adrenaline's dumping. Um, we call it uh, pheromones. They're, they're pheromones of fear. Um, sure. They're dumping. And, you know, I've talked about this in, I think, a podcast or two. And I can see, like, when I've heard guys talk about that, like, I can visually see exactly what they're saying. And I can mm-hmm. I can say that, yes, that's probably the best way to explain it, that, you know, this X, Y, and Z's happened. Um, but scent pools, and that's kind of what you're talking about, scent pools, like, they kill us. And the way I will explain a scent pool, in fact, when I go to teach my tactical tracking class in March, um, this is something we go over and we spend a lot of time on it. Um you know, your house, you take your house, that's nothing but a scent pool. It's got your odor all over it. So when we get right. a call for um, to track a, a, a missing juvenile, because we, we get that quite a bit, or somebody's run away, or maybe it's an autistic child, or it could be an adult, um, Alzheimer's patients. When we go to their house, we can't start that track in their house. At their, because it's too much odor. There's odor everywhere. Right. They live there. Um, right. We we make we start about a hundred yard circles outside their residence and try to pick up the exit track. So how I equate how I equate what I'm hearing is that you know that animal lays down, and I'm just going to use a bedding area. I'll just we'll just I'll just mm-hmm. in my I'll just talk about a bedding area because we, we do it with bear too. I mean our dogs do the exact same thing, and I never I've never thought of it in that manner as that animal, um, shutting over all, I've never, it's just never come to me that way. Um, so a bear or a bear lays down and let's just say that he's like you said, he's, he's in a hole. Okay. And the dogs trail into that area. But again, you're what you've, we've talked about earlier in the podcast is, um, if I'm trailing into an area, I'm not prob- I'm not I'm not tracking anything over twelve hours old, period. Mm-hmm. Um dogs track into an area and it's like they hit a wall. Boom. They come to a stop, they do what you do, what you just said. They kind of slow down and you know, they're kinda all over the place. They're going here, they're going there, especially if you're watching what's going on with your eyes. And they start circling and they're making loses and your your dogs that don't have the 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 more experience or don't have the, the the want to, they'll start dropping out. And then, like you said, that one old dog will figure out where that source of that odor is coming from. Or, right. like what you said, he happened to cross that hole where that odor, where that bear's <laughs> laying, and that, that odor pops right out. Oh, here it is. I got him. And then, yep. boom. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it could sure happen, and I've I've seen it happen. Just boy, like they weren't smelling anything, and then all of a sudden, have a lion just come right mm-hmm. out of a hole and bang them, knock them off a rock. But I I, was, I told you before a little bit about as the scenario of watching dogs across the canyon trailing the bobcat, mm-hmm. and you see the bobcat get up in front of the dogs, and he may be two hundred yards ahead of them. He's just 
he's just trotting along, you know, and he'll stop every so often. He'll look back and, and he's like, yeah, they're not going to catch me, you know, and they're trailing, they're trying hard, they're mouthing, you know, and they're going along, going along. And he gets up about even with you and you think them stupid dogs aren't going to catch that cat. That's a good spotted belly cat. And you got your rifle there and you say, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and shoot that cat. Cause I could take him down to the fur bar and I can, I could buy some dog food, you know, and you get up there and you're wiggling around and you've been breathing hard and you miss but you hit close to him and that cat jumps straight in the air and takes off. I mean, look at his split. He's gone, you know, tail mm-hmm. over his back. Yep. And, uh, here come these dogs, you know, they don't really hear the shot. They don't pay too much attention. You shoot a 22 or something and they get right up to where that cat was, where you shot. And it's like, they hit a stone wall. Boom. What? And they're casting this way and they're casting that way. And it's like, where did the scent go? Did it go up in the air when the cat jumped up in the air and it's just totally gone? He no longer has scent. He shut it off because he got frightened. Mm-hmm. Well, it probably did alter. It probably did. He went from probably normal caution to, to extreme panic, mm-hmm. extreme panic. And here again, everybody's, oh, his scent's gone. You're not going to get him. And here again is a smart dog, that smart cat dog. I go, he's like, ah. I got to start cutting forward. I'm moving forward. I got the cup to progress it, progress it, progress it, wind up, wind up, wind up. Out there, 200, 250 yards sometimes. Boo! He's got it again. And it's changed, but that cat's gone back into his normal mode of travel and they pick it up. And it's that dog that'll drive through and he's the one that'll catch it. Mm-hmm. And that, that it, it, did, it did alter, but it didn't shut off. It changed. Mm-hmm. And those dogs, like I say, I really do believe that their, their scenting ability is a lot like a computer. It filters out everything else, and it's locked onto that one thing. That's why bloodhounds can do some yeah. of the phenomenal things they've done over the years. He's got that grid pattern in there, and he just he's, he's locked into that. And I don't care if he comes by and there's a skunk laying there or whatever. He just trails right on through it because he's locked onto that. Right. But when it changes, rapidly, quickly changes. I mean, then, it, then, you know, the system, the system failure, you know, <laughs> light comes on and everybody's casted around. And the, the other guy that over here is smart enough to key in something else, you know, and away he goes. So it, it, it is a it's a it's a fascinating, fascinating <clears throat> game, a fascinating sport. And I, I you, you mentioned about that scent pooling. I'll, I'll step into my bird dog world for a minute here. This happened some years ago, but it, we were up in uh, North Dakota hunting pheasants. Uh, Cold weather, no snow on the ground, but it's cold, bitter wind and stuff. We were in heavy, heavy uh, cover, uh, high weeds, what they call CRP fields and hunting. And I had two short hairs um, that I I trained. And one one was young and the other one was an older dog. The other gentleman was long, had a, had a Labrador. And uh, we got in and there were quite a few pheasants in there. And we had some guys that were, oh, they were from we, my one of my brother-in-laws owned a big farm up there and they were from some of his university buddies and different things and stuff. And they weren't the best shots in the world, but they, they were having fun, but they winged down a couple of birds that couldn't be found. Uh, I knew they were hit pretty good, but they, they couldn't find him. And everybody was tramping around in there and there was probably, I don't know, eight guys and three, three dogs at least and going around in there. And they just couldn't come up with the wounded birds, you know, wind, bitter, cold and everything. And those, guys were kind of feeling dejected and everything like that. And I said, well, I says, you guys just, you guys just go on. And I told my son was with me and I says, you take Bill out with the young short here. You take Bill with you. And I says, and I says, I'll pick these birds up. I says, but we got to get these guys out of here and clear this, all the scent and all the confusion out of here. And I said, then I'll put dot to work, you know, 
And so they left and they went on and I waited about, oh, I might've waited 30 minutes. I bet I did. And uh, I thought I was hunt dead, you know. And she went in there and in less than five minutes, she found both of those roosters. And one of them was still alive and had went into a badger hole and actually gone down into a badger hole. And she was digging when I got to that, but she, she was able to get his tail feather and then pull him out. Mm -hmm. but, uh, with everything else in there, they couldn't find it. But once that all cleared out and that experienced dog, you know, and she was driven to find it. And uh, I was just showed up and I said, here's your birds. Why couldn't we find it before? I says, too much smell. <laughs> no, you're right. That odor laid down. And when it, when yeah, it dropped, it yeah, you were able to, we do that a lot in, um, like big chaotic scenes. Like we've got a lot of officers and, um, a lot of stuff going on. Like we, we do the exact same thing. Like, you know, you're just taking the hunting thing and I'm doing it in the, the law enforcement realm. The same exact thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, Absolutely. I just, I feel like it's interesting. I, you know, I always like to hear and. You know, I can vi I can visualize a lot of, of stuff that I hear about odor, and you know, I I talked to um, Dr. Nathan Hall, who's a te Texas Tech and does research, and I mean, I begged him to do research uh, study on odor. Like <laughs> I was like, you got to do it on odor, you got to do it on odor, and um, or scent off of people, and of course, there's just not a their need for it. <laughs> so he's like, you know, nobody's going to spend the money on that, but. Yeah, it's always intriguing to me to listen and to hear and you know learn and we've all I don't I don't care what type of animal you're pursuing with a hound um I feel like we all see that same type of behavior at some point in time if you're paying attention. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mentioned a really great book that a lot of hunters should try to get their hands on if they can and it's, yes. it's hard to find. It's out of print. But it's a great book, and it really explains a lot about conditions as scent and a lot of different animals. It was written in Great Britain, so there is some differences in the quarry that they're hunting. But it's and and they also they are hunting people. Uh, this this gentleman that wrote it, his name is H M Budget. That's B U D G E T T. H M Budget. He's the ex master of the By Mister and Warden Hill Hounds. And uh, it's just a fascinating study what he did, uh, and and really he was really really meticulous with his with his work that he did. And I think everybody that would read this, if they really sit down and read it and stuff, would say, "Oh, I see why that happened. Now I see why that happened. I see why that day looked like it was going to be such a good hunting day, but it wasn't. It was a terrible day, and why the dogs couldn't hardly do anything. And a week before they acted like they were world beaters, you know. Mm -hmm. But in his in his end of this thing he says he's hunting by sin he goes through the whole thing his famous little saying is constant only in its inconsistency there's nothing so queer as scent except a woman <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it, it is i mean the i mean every every minute changes right. um you know i i did uh, i had a meteorologist um she had me on one of our local news stations to talk about uh, weather and stuff with, with the dogs. It's just like a 15-minute blurb. And, you know, everything's constantly changing. <laughs> I mean, the sun's out, then it's behind a cloud. You know, the temperature's going right. up, it's going down. The humidity's going up, it's going down. The barometric pressure's changing. Like, so many different things play factors into odor. 
uh, or scent. Let's yeah. talk about scent. And like, you, like, there's so many, so many things, and so many kinds of terrain and mm-hmm. different things. But <clears throat> I've always, I noticed this before I read this book, and it's, he he pounds at home when your when your ground temperature is warmer than your air temperature, your sending conditions are going to be better. Yep. And when and when your ground temperature is colder than your air temperature, it's going to be tougher. It's yes, just a, it makes it sucks sense. It pulls pull, pulls it down. Yeah. Well, it's been great talking to you, Heath. I yes. wanted I do want to uh, carry on and visit a little bit more about uh, some yep. of the trailing stuff uh, that they're doing out there as well with your yeah with your man trailing yeah yeah. So, so Jeff, with the I mean, um, sorry, Mike. Um, I was thinking when you said man trailing, Jeff Jettler come to my mind. Um, <laughs> but Mike, yeah, I. I Appreciate you coming on and spending some time with me and, you know, talking dogs and scent. Um, it's always a pleasure. And like I said, you know, 2008 kind of started, you know, my my reaching out to you. And you were always uh, very helpful to me and helping me when with the questions and stuff that I asked. And I really do appreciate that. So you're you're welcome. I'm, I I was lucky enough to have some very good mentors. Uh, we talked about Leo and a, a few other people that came along later in life that uh, I'd have, I'd have still been I'd have quit long ago if that hadn't happened, you know. Mm-hmm. And I so I feel if I can if I can share just a little bit that'll help a little bit in some way uh, who uh, especially young people that are getting into it or wanting to get into it and stuff. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd gladly do it, you know. Yeah. But to end of every podcast, I end it with this. And Mike, I really appreciate you helping us teach, train, and learn.